0: A year from now, maybe, you know, everybody goes back to what they call normal. Um, I hope we have a new abnormal. Stand by. I'll be right there.
1: Hello and welcome to Minto Dialogue, episode number 372. Today is Sunday the 10th of May, 2020. My name is Minto Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. This week's interview is with John Janch. John's the founder and president of Duct Tape Marketing, a small business marketing consultancy company. He's also the author of six books, including the big-time bestsellers Duct Tape Marketing and The Referral Engine. His last book is called The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur, 366 Daily Meditations to Feed Your Soul and Grow Your Business, a book that really fits very much into this current environment. In this conversation with John, we discussed the notions of self-reliance, mindfulness and solitude for entrepreneurs and small business leaders, and defining what success really looks like for each of us. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com, and as ratings and reviews are the lifeblood of any podcast, please consider going over to this handy all-in-one ratethispodcast.com forward slash dial to drop in your review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes now for the interview. John Janch, wow, great to have you on my show. I have been, of course, following what you do. I love your style, your books, your podcast, The Duct Tape Marketing, and and you really do shred a, a fun and, and texturally interesting path. That's how I'd like to introduce you. How about you, John? How would you like to say who you are? <laughs>
0: Well, I'm just a a marketing consultant who's been making it up every day for 30 years. Um, So I just I I observe uh, I try stuff and then I write about it. And, uh, um, you know, my my view is that marketing is not that difficult. Um, It's actually just human nature. Um, A lot of people screw that up, but a lot of people screw human relationships up, too. Um, But, uh, you know, that to me, if it's not something that's uh, simple, practical, and is actually in service of, you know, the ideal client that you're trying to serve, uh, then you're probably wasting your time. So I if, if you... If you want to find out really more specific rather than just kind of my <laughs> my lunatic ravings, um, it, it's just duct tape uh, dot com. and duct tape marketing is actually a system. The name of a system I've, I've actually put it on everything else now, but it was the sure. name of a system I created because. I was frustrated about 25 years ago trying to work with small business owners because that's who I really enjoyed serving. I was I had a whole mix of clients at that time, and but I really loved working with small business owners and found it kind of frustrating because, uh, you know, they didn't have the same budgets or attention spans or anything. And so I said, what I need to do is I need to come in and say, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. Here are the results we hope to get. And here's what it costs. Do you want it or not? And to my Somewhat surprised, but also delight. You know, the first three people I said that sentence to, <laughs> um, all said yes, and and it turns out that I tapped into I think uh, what is still today increasingly one of the most difficult things or most frustrating things for small business is it's actually hard to buy marketing services and getting harder because everybody's selling a piece of the puzzle and nobody's talking about strategy. They're all just talking about this new platform or this new tactic, and so uh, that that's really what I've built my entire probably life's work on the idea that marketing is a system. And uh, in addition to, to books and writing and, and our own consulting, I've also now got a network of about 150 independent marketing consultants and agencies around the world that install the duct tape marketing system as well. You certainly do, and
1: I know many of them. It's remarkable what you say because at some level, the fact that we forget as human beings, human beings. And and there's this sort of notion of what makes sense and listening to the customer. And sometimes I, I generally feel that the smaller companies that you're dealing with should be in closer contact with yeah. the frontline. When you get into the big companies, which with whom I deal with, they they there's so many so much bureaucratic tape, not duct tape, that <laughs> that it gets you know, that the, the link with the customer is lost they may have the budgets, but they are just in a morass of of forgetting who the customer is and common sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, actually, um, our the front end of our engagement is something we call strategy first. And uh, I I have, you know, as I've said, most of my work has been with the, you know, one to $10 million business, for example, but I've actually done strategy first engagements with billion dollar uh, companies, because what you just said, uh, it, it may, it's, it may be, um, you know, eye-opening to talk to a small business owner about strategy. And, of course, much larger organizations get it. Sure, 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 we know strategy, but they're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, so it yada, it, it really yada, is yada. yada, every yada. Level, every size. Right, exactly. Well, and to this point, so
1: I think the the, the the two words that constantly resonate for me that are missing are brand and strategy. And and so brand for me is a is a question of of a personality, and when you're a bigger organization where the entrepreneur founder has moved on, where is that voice? Where is that heartbeat? Where is that A A minus blood or whatever blood type flowing and coursing? It's not all bloods. There's a specific blood type and a specific thing, and then the second thing is brand. And when it comes to smaller companies. At some level, sometimes it's just like the owner is the brand. But then for the rest of them, like, I don't have time for that. I don't know about that. So strategy and brand, you know, I got time for that later almost.
0: Yeah. I, I tell small business owners all the time because I've been saying the same thing that that, you know, small businesses have a brand every business has a brand it's just whether or not you're directing it <laughs> intentionally because the essence of a brand is just what the market thinks about you um, and so for a lot of uh, small businesses as you said you know who they are being who the owner of the business the founder of the business is being certainly who how their employees are are being perceived out there north the that's that's their brand whether you know whether it's a positive or negative or good one or bad one it, it, it does exist
1: one of the things that I tried to push in the bigger companies was the idea that executives need to have a personal brand Mm -hmm. participating in the conversation of the overall organization when you're a smaller company it's sort of obvious you know you are the salesperson the coffee maker you know you're you're doing whatever you can and you're you you know you founded it so you are it what's your opinion about Certainly as you scale up into bigger companies, the role of the founder present or the, you know, the the, the senior executive's role online.
0: Well, I think increasingly it's become the, the keeper of the culture, um, to tell you the truth. I mean, it, it's I mean, you said specifically online, but I think for the organization, the role they really serve quite often is. Is the one that's setting the tone, that's telling the story, um, you know, and in, in, and not necessarily in uh, the day to day stuff. Now, a lot of them are also beholden to a board and to, you know, financial mm-hmm. performance and things. But I think inside the organization and maybe their public presence online, it, it's probably to be a, a model of the culture that, you know, not that you want the market to perceive, but but that, you know, is true about the business that is sort of the brand promise you know delivered through culture in your book self-reliant the self-reliant entrepreneur which i i tended to
1: think through my prism which is big companies mm-hmm. you do talk about the ideas of messiness and, and imperfection there's a thoreau quote which is the fault finder will find faults even in paradise love your life poor as it is in big corporations, we tend to like to polish things and make things yeah. look spick and span. Get the agency to retouch my face; I don't like the wrinkles. Yet, that's what I think customers are looking for. Do you do you think that is maybe the biggest winning point that small companies can have over big companies?
0: I, I absolutely do. Um, you, you know, there's a lot of talk about this idea of uh, you know the hero's journey. Um, And, you know, stories in in companies and, you know, the 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 customer for a small business is, you know, is the hero of the story. And I think that small business owners, small businesses in general have um, a a much a much better chance of connecting with we get you. (laughs) You know, we we truly understand your problem. Um, And, uh, you know, all you have to do is go read for small businesses, go read their reviews. Um, assuming they have good, like Google strong, good, you know, Google five-star reviews. Um, and you, you, you will get a sense of what that business does well from those reviews. And I can almost guarantee you it will be, it will say little about the, Service, you know, if you're a tree service, it doesn't say they cut my tree down well. It always says they showed up on time and they cleaned up the job site. I mean, it's always about the people. It's always about the experience. And I think small businesses have a real opportunity to to deliver you know, on the promise um, in a very I, again it's it's not automatic but i think they have that opportunity um in a way that is much closer to uh the the actual customer's story
1: in in the book you have these uh wonderful sayings and and it's clearly a personal journey that you went through <laughs> what did you learn at the when you put the final dot on the final yeah. point Sh-
0: so maybe we ought to explain the book a little bit, Go for it. Um, because that might help with the context. So it, it is a daily devotional, meaning every single day you wake up and there's, you know, there's it's May 1st when you and I were recording this. You know, you get May 1st uh, for reading. Uh, then every day starts with um, some literature that I curated from the mid 19th century. So you mentioned Thoreau and Emerson and Margaret Fuller and Louise May Alcott and then you get about 150 to 200 words maybe contextualizing the reading uh, for today's entrepreneur and then i leave you every day with a question challenge a challenge yeah so it's it's uh, it's meant to be a practice it's not a book you take on vacation and read it's something that maybe you you do in your morning if you have a morning journaling or meditation or you know reading a, a practice like so many entrepreneurs do it's it's kind of meant to to inspire the day for you um, and and so that's, you know, that was my thinking. And, and the way that it fit into my practice or or you know, why I wrote this book, frankly, because it's vastly different from my first uh, five books is that that's something I've done for 20 years. Um, you know, I, I think uh, entrepreneurship is the greatest self-development program ever created. And, uh, you know, if you if you intentionally work on yourself, you intentionally get more aware, you intentionally study. Uh, ideas, witness your thoughts. Um, you know, that's, that's the only way you grow. And, uh, um, so this book is more of a why to book as opposed to a a how to book. Uh, and it's, it really is meant to be something that, you know, you spend about 90 seconds every day and, uh, hopefully that something lodges in your brain, uh, and you start, you know, showing up uh, in, in a little different way. And what about you? What, what was your journey, or at least how did it sort of what? Did, how did it land for
1: John? I mean, because yeah. you, you write a book, and I, we both know what that's like. And it's a big yeah. process, and yes. and and you made choices. You made three hundred and sixty six choices to begin with, if you will, and or actually there's the whole idea of doing book, and then yeah, you know yeah, break it yeah. down into these different ones. Um, May the first, by the way, I, I just checked it out. Is Fear the Storm by Louisa yeah. May Alcott. <laughs> lovely weather so far i don't know how long it will last but i'm not afraid of storms for i'm learning how to sail my ships my ship that's a, that's a lovely one uh, john um so what about for you what what did john
0: janch come out of this book with i think probably you know what's interesting is of course i wrote this book in the uh, fall of 2018 and spring of 2019 uh, came out in the fall of 2019, so uh, I wrote it in a, a pretty condensed when when it comes to book writing, a pretty condensed period, especially given all the research that went into it. And of course, now we find ourselves in a you know in a very interesting time. And it was almost in some ways, it's almost like I wrote this book for <laughs> for what we're going through right now. But um, for me, what I came out with is is some of the things I'm experiencing now. I I've, I feel a sense of peace. Um, I probably have a, uh, redefined my, my idea of, you know, what I'm here to do and who I'm here to serve. Uh, I've certainly changed my, um, relationship with success or what it means. And, and, I'm um, and, and, and you know, this is, this is all stuff that I've worked on forever, uh, for, quite frankly, but it, it's stuff that when, you know, when you, when you take an entire year immersed in this kind of thinking, uh, it, it certainly, uh, you know, it certainly cements kind of uh, some things.
1: It's an amazing thing. I, I love the fact that, you, you know, you, as you say, you've been working on this for a long time. And I, I, I too feel because you, I can't remember where it was that you wrote this, but you say, if, if you're, if you're more yourself, you'll be a better leader. And that's actually the bloody subtitle for my new book, John, mm. <laughs> the title is you lead, how being yourself will make you a better leader. And and you you absolutely say the same thing. And so I, I and and I think that's what's most relevant today is is coming back to who you are, understanding why you're in business and your purpose.
0: Yeah, yeah, no question.
1: So in in your book, you another thing that I found quite fun and sort of introspective is you talk about this notion of solitude and journaling mm-hmm. and mindfulness. Which let's say are, are not the i mean let's say that you, obviously, if you know Silicon Valley and certain types, of course <laughs> it's obvious, yeah. but for so many it's it's not really something we talk about no. it's almost like vulnerability, and, you know we're always projecting this, you know i'm perfect i'm I'm to go getter and and how, how do you raise money? How do you talk to start your shareholders if you're not doing that, yeah. but these other things seem to be a little bit more textual
0: and uh, talk us through how how that fits in. Well, so the idea of mindfulness is for the entrepreneur. Uh, quite frankly, is that you know we spend about ninety percent of our time at, mind, in mindless <laughs> mindlessness <laughs> as, 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 um, because we, we we are either um, doing you know four things at once, or we're worried about the meeting tomorrow, or we're worried about how it went last time, and it's probably going to go that way again. And I think that you know all of that is. All of that is basically suggesting that we that we control far more than we actually do. Mm. We control very little in our lives. We control probably only two things. (laughs) How we show up and how we respond to everything that happens. And that's about it. And I think that a lot of stress and anxiety is caused by, you know, thinking we can control other things. Now, we can try to influence other things. We can have objectives But what mindfulness suggests is that you detach from all of the how it's going to happen, <laughs> you know, how you're going to get there and and focus on, you know, this meeting that you're having, you know, focus on this paper that you're that, that you're you're working on right now, uh, because, it, it, you know, to in my looking back in hindsight, you know, all the stress and, and fear and agony that, um, that I've experienced as an entrepreneur was always worrying about things that I couldn't control. And, this, and the thing that you learn over time, you stay at this long enough, <laughs> is that how often that thing that you wanted to go a certain way, that client that you wanted to get and you didn't almost immediately something better happened or a a better path opened up, or you found out that that client, you know, was going to be terrible to work with. (laughs) Um, And I think that, I think if you have faith in, you know, that, you know, I think you, you, it causes you less stress, you know, worrying about, you know, how everything is supposed to go.
1: That, that sounds like finding the silver lining
0: in bad things. Yeah. And I think that's a way to look at it, but I, I, I think it's, I think it's it's far deeper than um, than just a you know a, a quotable t-shirt or or mm. something you know i think it really is a point of view about the fact that I, the, and, and and emerson was was a big proponent of this that things happen the way they're going to happen the way they're supposed to happen for a reason and so it is you can look at it as the silver lining but entrepreneurs who stick around long enough are resilient enough to reframe everything that happens for good or for bad right. um, in a way that is not, you know, I didn't fail, but this test didn't work, and so let's figure out why, or let's figure out what this this you know product launch that didn't go right, you know, was here to teach us, um, and and that's you know you can call that sort of silver lining or kind of Pollyanna positive thinking. But it takes that to survive this, you know, that that ability to kind of reframe. I would say it's about
1: taking perspective and and knowing how to put things in their place at
0: some level. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of times we we even take the way people respond to us and react to us personally. Um, And, you know, the the challenge with that is we have no idea what went on in their day. We have no idea what, you know, what what they're seeing, that we're not seeing. <laughs> um, and, and so I think mindfulness also uh, brings with it a, a heap of empathy, uh, which you know certainly is uh, called for today. It is. and it reminds
1: me of a podcast what you're saying that's called heavyweight. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's it's this notion that we sometimes bring with us something, yeah. a, a, a heavy thing. And that filters, or is our rose glass through which we see stuff. And and if we aren't able to detach ourselves from that, then we we lose our ability to take perspective. And so, if someone says something to you and and you take it badly, maybe it's because of your filter that it reminds you of your you know your crap father or your horrible uncle or, right, right, or right. something. Yeah. And the other person just had a bad day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I, I'll tell you another thing that I've learned over the years is is if I if I react to something like I've been slighted or somebody said something that I didn't agree with, there's probably a hint of truth in it, right? <laughs> and that's what that's what caused my reaction was that I somehow internally knew that actually you're right, uh, that is true about me, but I don't want to believe that story, and I, I think sometimes. Uh, if you, I catch myself all the time, you know, thinking, well, "Why did that person say that?" You know, or something, mm. and then I realize, well, or you know, you look at somebody else and you go, oh, "I can't believe they're doing that silly thing over there," and then you think, "Well, actually, I do that all the time." You know, mm. I was um, I, I, I was <laughs> just in a
1: in an event um, with four people in a, in a thing called an empathy circle, and mm. uh, one of the individuals did something that definitely pissed me off. I don't know if I showed it, but someone else stepped in and, and showed me the way. And so I was like, Oh, thank God for that. And why was I getting upset? So I was having that sort of moment of her and I was wondering if I was showing it because it you know, you're you on screen, you're in public, yeah. you, you mentioned just before john about you've redefined success, I would love for you to explain what that is, and how it's contributed to your success.
0: Yeah. So, I I guess I have to start by saying I I, I think that it's very easy in this day and age, you write a book, people put you on a a pedestal for whatever reason, you go on stages, they want to take pictures with you. I mean, it's very easy to get, you know, a ridiculously overinflated ego. And then and then it gets worse, because then you start comparing yourself to people that are on bigger stages than you and that their boats
1: bigger than mine. Their plane is (laughs) bigger than mine. What is this?
0: And, uh, and, and, you know, it's really easy to fall into that trap, particularly like, like I said, if you have some little fleeting hint of it, um, and, and I don't know, you know, maybe this is another you know thing of age, uh, you not everybody gets wiser, but some do that, uh, um, you know, that, that stuff just doesn't matter, you know, at all. And to me, kind of my simple definition of success uh, that I think I would apply to anybody has nothing to do with, uh, measurement of anything. It's more about, um, a feeling of freedom that, that I'm free to choose if, that, you know, if I want to, you know, if I want to live in a big house, I'm free to choose to do that. If I don't want to do that, it really has No, I don't care what other people think. <laughs> you know, if I choose to drive, I, t- I drive a 10 year old mini Cooper, um, uh, that, you know, is got four wheels and rolls, you know, for um, a big man
1: that's a very small <laughs> car. Um, so John, you and I are of a certain age why don't we do that at you know 40 years ago and 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 or maybe more pertinently for those who are listening why would somebody who's 20 start to get on that bandwagon now
0: and what why are they waiting yeah so uh, uh, there's two parts to that question I think a lot of it is is you know societal is you know the environment we grew up but we all also know the exceptions I mean that, you know, the, 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 the kid in high school that everybody used to poke fun at um, probably was more self-assured than anybody. <laughs> um, and I think that that, you know, the, the first part of your question, you know, why do we do it is um, I just don't think we trust ourselves enough. Um, and that's really the whole idea of self-reliance. Uh, in my view, a lot of people look at it as, Oh, going it alone and, you know, killing your own food and you know, not depending on anyone else. And it really is more about actually having such a thorough level of, of self-trust that you're not impacted by what other people think you should do or say, or, you know, what, what the common path for everybody your age is. Um, you know, you, you really are, are more in tune with what, you know, what you're, your heart what your soul says uh, to you and I think that it just takes a long time for people to actually get (laughs) deprogrammed into you know having the ability to think that way
1: so that that is maybe how we've got to where we've got to I think I'm on that same path and and my little sub narrative is that not because we're at our age that we actually do get it because there are plenty who don't I feel like I've had to go through kind of a life-changing event to really spark me and and mine was uh, 19 years ago so up until then I was sort of on my little you know (laughs) wagon and running and da 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 and then all of a sudden oh my gosh life is short and I've got to get the shit right and and so how do you what's the persuasion what what kind of argument can you have for a 22 year old coming out of university listen dude
0: or do that. You know, that's a that's a really tough one because I think if you look, if you ask most people that have, um, you know, very few people go through life and just go and just have it all figured out. Most people have something. I have a, a I wouldn't call it traumatic, but I have something that altered my trajectory for sure, um, in, in my career. And and I think most people will point to that. It's almost like we have to get pushed into a corner, yeah. Sometimes to to actually say you know enough. <laughs> Um, I'm going to do my own thing. And, and, you know, that's, that's the, the the rags to riches stories that everybody likes to tell on the internet, you know, that there is a lot of truth to, to that, you know, and, and I think sometimes comfort and, and um, you know, complacency and, and just doing just well enough, you know, stops people from, or, or, or certainly allows them to, to live in a state of mediocrity, um, deliver, you know, so-so results, deliver so-so work, care about people so-so, uh, because, hey, it's not costing me that much, you know, and and the, the idea of going out on a limb, risking everything, in my view, you know, to follow my heart, um, might, you know, might be too scary. Um, you know, the, the reason I chose the literature that I chose from the mid-19th century is, that was sort of the 1st countercultural period in America, we were on the cusp of the Civil War, We were women were trying to get the right the right to vote. Uh, We were trying to abolish the legal act of human slavery. And all of a sudden, you know, the writing of that time period was like, wait a minute, you know, maybe we should stop listening to, you know, our forefathers and our preachers and our our teachers. And maybe we should start following our, our own path. I mean, even the fiction. From that time period, you mentioned Louisa May Alcott from Little Women, um, Scarlet Letter, Moby Dick. Those were all stories where the protagonist, uh, it was the first time a protagonist in American literature said, this may cost me everything, but I have to do what I have to do. And I just think that that's tremendous advice for entrepreneurs.
1: Mm, I love that. Um, of course, I, I think about storytelling in general and, and its role as a, an ability for us to improve our empathy by leaning into the characters that are you know you and i obviously didn't live that experience but by reading great literature you sort of you you become the character the fictional character and you start thinking about what it feels like to have been a woman subjected or or black slave or Mm -hmm. you know that kind of stuff and and then oh my godfathers, that was a different experience i wanted to link one thing john as we terminate our chat here is um, this notion of, of being yourself and purpose. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> are, are they necessarily
0: linked? Now I would say they probably are not necessarily linked. I would say they can be uh, linked, but I say the disconnect is that purpose, having a solid grasp on purpose pushes us to do things we maybe don't want to do that are inconvenient, that are hard to do, that may cost uh, me everything, that may cost me everything. Whereas being ourself, maybe is maybe becomes opinion of I'm going to do what I want to do. (laughs) uh, Because I'm just being me, you know, you see right now a lot of people doing Facebook lives, where they're sharing, you know, how we should feel and they're being authentic. (laughs) And, you know, to me, that's just that's just an excuse not to actually do some hard work. Um, and I know that, you know, I, again, I've done, I've done my share of that as well, but I think that's the difference is that purpose is what drives us to do the, the, the hard stuff, the stuff we're afraid to do.
1: Yeah. I, I, the words that come to my mind, John are, are messiness and courage mm-hmm. and, and somehow the messiness thing is like <laughs> accepting my imperfection and the courage to do things I fear. Last question for you, John. Um, We're at the end, hopefully, of a COVID lockdown, you know, for now anyway. How do you believe customers are going to change coming out of this?
0: Well, I think we're going to see, I mean, let's face it, some industries are going to get wiped out um, in the sort of tail of the tsunami. Uh, There are going to be certain industries that don't recover. And there also is going to be, I think, certain behaviors that became day to day, even though it's only been five, six weeks. For example, uh, the online meeting, the online technology, the online conference, I think is only going to grow uh, because an, an entire world of new people got introduced to it and said, hey, you know what, for like an initial sales call, this works fine. Yeah,
1: who needs to yeah. get on an airplane? This actually exactly. works. Blue jeans zoom,
0: it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so things like that. I think certain behaviors. I think. I think. I I believe that, and and who knows, you know, in six months from now, or a year from now, maybe you know everybody goes back to what they called normal. Um, I hope we have a new abnormal. Um, I hope that this for this focuses more attention on the environment, and what we were doing to the environment. I hope that this actually uh helps people uh sort of slow down and say you know this time that i've been spending with my family taking these walks not buying as much crap you know is actually behavior that um that i hope sticks around now if i sold crap or i owned a restaurant or i you know i might not believe that Uh, but i I, I hope that this sort of pause um actually has a sort of a collective reflection element to it
1: for someone who's been helping my wife repaint our kitchen with duct tape i'm hoping that that sticks too john how can someone uh, follow you what's the best thing and how can they of course get your books
0: tell us sure. more sure sure so you can find pretty much everything i've been doing for the last couple decades at ducttapemarketing.com, marketing.com and that's d-u-c-t-t-a-p-e marketing.com i am i am on linkedin and facebook and twitter as well and uh, you can you can find the books pretty much anywhere you buy books but i do also have them on the homepage at of Duct tape marketing as well
1: if there were one thing that would make you happy what would
0: that be john Whew, one thing just one thing who could say one thing um and 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 i guarantee you that if I answered this tomorrow, it would probably be something different. Right. But, hey, that's another uh, another <laughs> incantation,
1: another meditation. Yes.
0: But but I'm 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 really um, I hope we do something about the environment. It's really uh, I I really um, I think that we are so should be so connected to nature, and yet we're we're you know we're destroying it. So.
1: Great. Listen, John, I really <laughs> loved having you on the show. It's lovely to chat with you and get to know you better. Um, I encourage everyone on on the who's listening to go and check out your podcast and your books. Thanks for coming on the show, John. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.